Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, you have made such wonderful promises that we can hardly believe them. Indeed, by our unbelief and doubt, we reject your word sooner than believe it. Cause us to be filled with faith at your promise, so that we cannot contain our joy over your mercy and grace. As we depart from your service today and each week, cause us to depart in joy, having received the Savior in our hearts, as we also receive his body and blood in the sacrament of the altar. In his name we pray. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the book of Genesis, the 21st chapter, beginning with the first verse. Please rise. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, as he had promised. Sarah conceived and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age at the set time which God had announced to him. Abraham named the son who was born to him, the son whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. What wonderful promises God made to Abraham and Sarah that even in their old age, they would have a child. And more, their child would be the ancestor of great nations, even kings. Even the king. Compare the wonderful promises given to their ancestors and ours, Adam and Eve, that the seed of the woman would be the savior of their race, crushing the head of the one who had enslaved them to sin and death. Compare the wonderful promises throughout Scripture. Search the Scriptures, for they testify about Christ. Compare, then, the promises given to a young virgin girl engaged to be married, that she would bear a son without knowing a man, and her son would be the eternal God himself. This is the fifth day of Christmas. The song goes, On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five gold rings. It's the one that makes children stop and laugh because of its sudden grandiosity in the midst of that silly song. But it is a grandiosity that fits the richness of the gift. It's been said that the five gold rings represent the first five books of the Bible. The books written by Moses, collectively known as the Pentateuch, or the Torah, or the Law. These books, these five books, lay the foundation of all human existence and of all the promises of God, with his plan of salvation. They are truly the gold by which we are made rich. Like the gold given to the Christ child by the Magi from the East, these words of God are meant to bring joy. That's because in this Christmas season, this is a time of happy news. And it is so because the Lord has done as he has promised. The first words of this pericope are a powerful testimony of God's awesome might 
the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. What God had said he would do, he did. It seems simple, but the text emphasizes it by stating it twice. I'm going to wax poetic about Hebrew here for a moment, the language that the Old Testament was written in. You know how English poems usually rhyme? Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. Hebrew poems don't rhyme, but instead they use a device called parallelism. What this means is that it puts two phrases or sentences back to back, normally saying the same thing just in different ways. What we have in our text here is just such an example of Hebrew poetry. Ba'adonai pakad et sara ka'asher amar. Vayasa Adonai Vasara ka'asher deber. The effect is impossible to overstate. What God has done is emphasized. He did what he said. He did what he promised. And in doing this, he has done something indescribably beautiful. We celebrated the festival of Christmas this last week. Still within the 12-day Christmas season, we pay close attention to God's action in time. In the way he has visited his people. Take note, too, of the promises God still continues to make. What you should learn from this pericope, if nothing else, is that God's promises will not fail. Look how his promises were accomplished for Abraham. Sarah conceived and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age at the set time which God had announced to him. Now, some Hebrew for you again. The words here are the same words used in the previous verse. Ka'aser deber, as he had promised. Asher deber, which he had announced. Deber has this variety of meanings, promise, announce. At its base, it means to speak. Grammatically, the word deber is intensive. When someone speaks something, it's different from when that person says something. When God speaks, It's etched to last more eternally than stone. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. So God had spoken. He had promised these words. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear for you at this set time next year. And that time came, and God's promises came true. You can see the parallels to the birth of another child, Jesus himself. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman. Tracing the history of God's people in the Old Testament, we see that they almost always prefer to expect God's promises to come sooner. Abraham and Sarah thought that they were getting too old, so they tried to force the process along by having Abraham sleep with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, to have a child by her. Eve expected the Savior to be the first son she bore and mistakenly believed it to be Cain. You've undoubtedly heard the phrase, in God's timing. Usually people say that when they're talking about young people having kids. My wife and I heard it enough 
while we were grieving each of our miscarriages. Well-meaning folks would say, well, it will happen in God's timing. And I say they were well-meaning because they wanted us to have just this faith in God that Abraham and Sarah had after their initial impatience, and this faith that Simeon had waiting for the comfort of Israel outside the temple. Here's the problem, though, and here's what I want you to remember. There are things God has promised, and there are things he has not. Those well-meaning folks were misguided in this sense. God has never promised to me or my wife that we would have a child. Search the scriptures. You won't find a single verse or a letter that indicates that we will have a quiver full of children. But Abraham and the Sarah of the Bible were promised a child. And therefore, they were to wait for God's timing. Now, there are two warnings here. First, beware looking for, for gifts that God has not promised to give to you. And beware of accusing him of injustice when he doesn't give you what he hasn't promised. And second, beware ignoring the promises God has made. Each error is speaking for God, which Satan did in his temptation of Eve, and which Eve did when she saw that the tree was good for food, taking some of it despite God's command. So take stock of your own beliefs. What do you believe that God is going to give you? And then can you back it up with scripture or is it based on a feeling? Can you find where God has said that he would give it to you? Or do you have to do some gymnastics to force the text to say what you want it to say? And be careful because one is faith and the other is idolatry. In faith, look how Abraham behaved. He named the son who was born to him, the son whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. And God had said, Sarah, your wife will bear a son for you. You shall name him Isaac. According to that promise, Abraham acted. And further, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. First notice that same parallel phraseology, as God had commanded him, just like as he had said, as he had promised, and so on. And now look at the command in that same chapter that came in chapter 17. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, a covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised by cutting the foreskin off your flesh. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Every boy among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations. And that Abraham kept... This command for his son shows his faith. It was a mark that put Isaac into the household of faith. He did it because God had commanded it and had told him the blessings that were connected to it, namely unity to salvation, connection to the covenant, and an eternal blessing and inheritance. And now look where God has attached his promise for you. It is explicitly and exclusively tied to three signs. When his word is preached, you know that it brings the Holy Spirit to your hearts to give and strengthen your faith. When you were baptized, you were connected to Jesus' death and resurrection, and you return to it each time you repent and are absolved. And when you eat the holy sacrament 
of the altar, you eat Jesus' true body and drink his true blood, both for the forgiveness of your sins. So place your trust nowhere else. Instead, know and see that there the Lord does as he has promised. And then be filled with wonder, amazement, joy, and laughter. Have you ever stopped to look at something wonderful without trying to comment on it, without trying to explain it, without trying to contain it? Think of a time when the sunrise or sunsets took your breath away. Recall a moment when you had family around you and it was an inexpressible time of joy and peace. Try to remember how it felt sometime when you had more questions than answers and it was accompanied by a good feeling, an excited feeling, and a hopeful feeling. This wonder is how you are to regard God above all other things. The Catechism's explanation of the first commandment is we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And fear is first for a reason. God is almighty and also holy and just. If you have sinned, therefore, you should be afraid of your soul's destruction. You should be afraid of his wrath. Yes, you should fear God, which is simply a recognition of how small you are next to him. Do not doubt his power the way Abraham and Sarah had doubted it before God reminded them of his promise. Instead, know that he can do what he has said he will do. And do you remember those things? Then be amazed. Amazed that God would deign to do such things. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah mused with amazement, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. And the answer to her question, which is, of course, rhetorical, is God. God did say to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children. The amazement is that he kept his promise. With that amazement then comes joy. Be amazed that the Almighty God kneels down, places his knees in the dirt to serve you. Remember those promises, promises to forgive you, to give you eternal life, to save you, all tied to those means of grace. Rejoice in that happy news. Now that's what this Christmas season is all about. The happy news that salvation is nigh. The happy news that salvation is yours. The happy news that causes the people who deliver those, that news to sing like Simeon or to laugh like Sarah. God has made me laugh, Sarah said, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. And this is, after all, why Isaac was given his name in, in Hebrew, Yitzchak. It's onomatopoeia, a poetic device that means the word sounds like its meaning. Yitzchak sounds like someone laughing. Sarah had laughed a laugh of doubt. But now her laughter is joy, amazement, and wonder. Do you laugh to receive the news, or do you object to the way it's given? And be careful that you don't disdain the gift of the Lord. And he does give you such a gift. It's more precious than gold. 
You've been given the precious blood of Christ. In the sacrament of the altar, you actually drink that blood even as you eat his flesh. But that blood washes you whiter than snow in baptism. And that blood is declared to you in the word, proclaiming as having been shed before God to pay for each and every one of your sins. You are forgiven everything by God himself who became man to die for you. And then he rose from the dead. Doesn't that make you want to laugh? In some places, there is one Sunday out of the church year that uses gold as its liturgical color, as today we're using white. And that festival for gold is the festival of Easter. That's where we're looking next. Seeing Jesus' birth, Understand what it means. God became man, which is a miracle of some magnitude in its own right. But he has given it even greater meaning, that the one who lived in the womb of Mary would lie dead in a rich man's tomb. But just as he left that womb to live a perfect life, he would leave that tomb to proclaim the life he won to the whole world, to you. That is the rich golden gift that the whole scriptures deliver to you. When I say, therefore, that this is a time of happy news, I don't just mean the 12 days of Christmas, but your whole life now, and the life of the whole world until Jesus comes again. We call it a time of grace, in which the word seeks out all who need salvation, and that includes you. God is pursuing you with this happy news that Jesus Christ is born to take your place under his wrath and to give you his blessed place in eternal life before a loving and gracious God. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.